that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your game preview, Buckeye Talk, or to your the game preview, Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means here to talk about the 117th edition of Ohio State and Michigan, noon on Saturday in Michigan Stadium. The three of us will be there. Aaron McMahon of M Live will be along later for another crossover version like we did last week with Michigan State, where we get context, we dive in on the football stuff, we have experts on both sides of it. We're also giving that to their Wolverine Confidential podcast audience. But I almost think it's interesting like to hear you guys, Nathan and Steven, talk about Ohio state in a big picture context, almost like you would on like a radio show in a different city that, that our audience is so familiar. and We're so familiar. We have like a shorthand with how we talk about these guys, but sometimes it's like, Oh no, this is like how they think about the big picture. So I thought that was a really good, like 35 minute conversation. And we'll get into that. And then after that, we're going to make our picks, but I want to start with this because I asked our, our texters 614-350-3315. Some specific questions about the game. And one of them I asked is, which Ohio State player is most likely to be the star and the key to the victory on Saturday? Here were the choices that I gave the texters. On offense, I said all three receivers were separate. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. I said Dewan Jones and Nicholas Petit-Frere as a tackle combo, like, hey, the tackles are kind of going to win the game. And then I said, uh, did I say Trevor Henderson, running back Trevor Henderson, quarterback C.J. Stroud? Those were the offensive options. The defensive options, I said Denzel Burke at corner, Steel Chambers at linebacker, Haskell Garrett at defensive tackle, and then the Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith defensive end pairing. Because I'm at the point both with Dewan Jones and Nicholas Petit-Frere and Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison where I just like think of them as like mm-hmm. twins. Like I can't – Yeah, that I can't sort of – there's no point in breaking them apart because if only one of them does their job well, it's not nearly as effective as if both of them do their job really well and they're both out there all the time. I would argue if they were Siamese twins, they would be terrible. If they were actually stuck together, that would be awkward. Because then all you got to do is bend around a little bit and the other one can grab the quarterback. But it's like running in stride with each other perfectly. I don't know. That yeah. seems that seems tough. I do believe I think the term is conjoined twins. Conjoined, now, I think yes. Is, but you're right. Uh, two things. I actually think Zach and Tyreek would be really good at it because I think they're both so like athletic and I think they could figure it out. It would almost be like a, I mean, it'd be some kind of like thing, like with like three, four arms, whatever. And then Nicholas Frere would just be like a backpack with Dewan Jones. Dewan Jones would just be going where he wants to go. And Nicholas Petit Frey would be like, okay, I guess we're going over there now. It is one of those things. Dewan Jones is so big. He's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, Nicholas Petit Frey is 6'6, 315 pounds. And standing next to Dewan Jones, he looks like Steven. Like it, it's it's a weird, he's so big. Dewan is so big. I was over at the hotel last week before the, the team left for um, skull session and talking to somebody and I was like, we were just both reminded, like, I mean, just like, look at that, like all these huge people over here. And then Dewan Jones walks by and you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. But um, I think actually a, a, my college football reform is that Ohio state players, more Ohio state players have to like be tied together. Like it's a three-legged race mm. in all of these games that they're mm. favored by once, once, the, once you're favored by like three touchdowns in a game, then you have to like be tethered to the player next to you to make it more difficult. 
Yeah, like a hand, like a handicap in golf or something almost. It's right. like, yeah, okay. Oh, your favorite for every touchdown you're favored by the opposing team, like gets uh, an elastic band that they can use to tie two Ohio State players together. Like and then it'd be like, place. and like pregame, it'd be like, oh, looks like oh, Michigan has decided they're t- It's Luke Whipler and Thayer Munford who cannot be separated for the rest of the game. And what are we looking at? So. Oh, and Jeremy Ruckert and Cade Stover will be a combo today as well. Like we'd be like, I every, I hope we don't get to that point. I mean, they got to keep the game interesting in its own way, which is why they probably have to stop, uh, you know, scheduling Akron for Ohio State. Otherwise, we're going to have elastic bands tying guys together. All right, who is your Nathan? We'll start with you. Who would you pick? And you don't have to go by my list. I just tried to cover almost like every kind of star guy for Ohio State. On the, and then I have a under the radar guy, which is all like the next tier of guys that I have as a separate question. Who would you say you think is is most likely to be the star of the game for the Buckeyes? I mean, it's not flashy, but I would pick NPF and Dewan Jones because I think the one thing that could potentially disrupt what Ohio State is doing right now offensively is the best player in the game, potentially, which is Aiden Hutchinson for Michigan getting home and being disruptive in the backfield and forcing Ohio State, uh, forcing C.J. Stroud into uncomfortable situations, forcing him into mistakes, that sort of thing. And I don't think by any stretch that there's any chance that that's going to be like relentless. But if the game is close enough and he can do it a handful of times, that that's where things can get somewhat treacherous for Ohio State. So I think it's a matter of just them doing what they have done more or less all season, what they did to Purdue a couple weeks ago, what they certainly did against Michigan state last week, which is just keep it clean, like no mistakes and keep the pressures off of CJ Stroud. Steven, who would you have voted for? Stroud. I, I, I partially agree with Nathan. Cause if, if it's going to be Stroud, then those two have to do their jobs at a high level. But I just, I'm very much in the corner of he is going to do some version or maybe even more of a version of what Dwayne Haskins did in 2018. And he's just going to be able to sit back there and be comfortable all afternoon and just kind of pick this Michigan defense apart. And so, yeah, it's his co-stars or his tackles and then his wide receivers. But I just think the day this is just going to be CJ's day last year, he kind of, you know, validated any thought of, hmm, is this kid a Heisman Trophy candidate? And I think this is another opportunity for him to kind of gain some more steam and maybe create some separation between he and Bryce Young because Auburn is just not the level of opponent Michigan is this season. So it just has to be Stroud. So I think we can sound like crazy people on this podcast sometimes because if we just want to come on and say Ohio State's better, they're probably going to win. That was Buckeye talk. Like we could do that every week. And so I'm sure there are people who at times when we try to analyze games and people want us to analyze football, we'd like to analyze football or we wouldn't be doing this. It can sound like you're reaching, but the first part of the, of my analysis of this game is, is, well, it's very likely that CJ Stroud and the three receivers and Ryan day as a play caller are going to do whatever they want to do on every snap because that happens a lot. And Michigan's defense is pretty good, but how much better than anything we've seen? I I don't know. Is it possible that it's, is it possible it's the best defense that Ohio State's played? And again, I know along the way, and again, I think people think we move the goalposts sometimes, but I did think Penn State's defense got something done. And then I don't, I don't know. Is it, are we in the range, Nathan, of 
Wisconsin's will probably be better. Georgia's will be better. If we get to that point, Cincinnati's might be better, frankly, if they get, I mean, if that's the path after Michigan, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Georgia to end Ohio state season, I think that's a progression of defense. Cause again, Cincinnati's got some dudes defensively and that's Luke. That's a Luke scheme, you know, implemented by Mike Tressel. So is that, is it maybe, maybe Michigan is the best defense Ohio State's face. I don't know. Maybe. I think they might have the best defensive player that Ohio State has faced in Hutchinson. Uh, by the way, I mean, everyone's focusing on the, the geographical matchup potentially of Ohio State-Cincinnati, but I'm really intrigued by that Cincinnati secondary and you know Luke Fickle and his knowledge of Ohio State against uh, Ohio State. But that's a different conversation. Uh, I mean, listen, was- man, Kobe, Kobe Bryant, Christian Bryant's younger brother, is one of the three finalists for the Thorpe Award. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, and Sauce Gardner is like going to be a first he's round really, pick at corner. Yeah, he's very good. And my Jay Sanders is going to be like a day two pick at defensive end. Like, again, it's just a reminder. And my God, my God, if we're we going to go to Texas to cover a Ohio, game between the two Ohio teams. I mean, if we get Ohio State Cincinnati, we don't need to go much into Ohio State Cincinnati Michigan week. But oh, my God, if we get Ohio State Cincinnati. I'm just going to go to live. I'm living at Luke's house for like 10 days. <laughs> to get back to your original question, um, the insiders suggest that Michigan is not the best defense they played. They would say that Penn State is the best defense they played. And I would say that Michigan has been putting up a, some good performances the last couple of weeks, but it's been against teams like Indiana. Uh, they Obviously, they did well against Penn State, but we know what Penn State's l- limitations are offensively. This Statistically, Michigan is maybe a little bit more the level of Nebraska's defense, but that was still a defense that caused Ohio State some problems. The problem is, I don't know if Michigan's defense is better than Penn State's. I think what the thing that makes them interesting is that, you know, we, we hyped up George Karloftis and then he did nothing. Obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau didn't play, but it's the fact that they have two guys like that. That's what makes this interesting. And that's and that might I mean, I don't know if that makes Michigan's defense better than anybody else they play. It just makes things a little bit more interesting because now you're occupying both Nicholas Petit Frere and Dewan Jones and not just one of them having to deal with a guy for whatever snap you want to talk about. SP plus defensive ratings. Georgia's number one. Wisconsin's number two. Clemson's number four. Penn State's number five. Michigan's number seven. So Ohio State's number 14. I do think it's the guy we've been talking about all week. And again, it just, he's new. And I think he's talented. The Mike McDonald matchup from a scheme standpoint, we're always looking for a guy. Is there a coach that can make a difference? Is there a coach that can make a difference? And if Mike McDonald says, not that this is going to work, but we're going to lean on our ends. We're going to drop eight. We're going to keep everything in front of us. We're going to blitz Daxton Hill at opportune times. We're going to force CJ Stroud to take checkdowns. We're going to flip our coverages at the snap all the time, right? That, that I don't know, which leads to my MVP pick would be Trevion Henderson. And it's not that I don't think CJ will play well, but if you're Mike McDonald, if you're anybody, right? I mean, this is what Kirby Smart's going to have to decide to do. This is what Luke Fickle's going to have to decide. To do. This is what Jim Leonard, the Wisconsin defensive coordinator, is going to have to decide. You, you can't just give in to the passing game. I think you have to do a mix of risk and 
like soft coverage to make sure we don't give up explosive, do our best to not give up explosive plays to try to do something with these guys, because there's enough Ohio state offensive film out there now that I think, I hope defensive defenses have realized like you can't, you can't just be normal. I don't think you can be normal. They're going to kill you if you're normal. So take risks, try to blitz from an unexpected place. You know, again, show a blitz, then drop eight, try to easier said than done. I don't think it will work. I don't think it will work, but I also think there's room for Ryan day wants to do this. McDonald wants to take away that day assumes McDonald's going to take away that. And the result is a lot of trivia. And so I just think that could be how it fits together. 20 plus carries three touchdowns. You know, you, you run some screens to him. He's so good in the screen game, right? That is like a back pocket thing that that's also CJ, but I mean, that's like a back pocket, like, Oh, what's a get out of jail. Free card is like a 50 yard screen to Trevion Henderson, you know, second level making guys miss kind of stuff. He's, he's where I would go for my MVP pick CJ's the choice of the texters. I mean, that's surprising. It's the quarterback CJ Stroud, 28%. Actually we picked the top three guys, CJ Stroud, 28%. The tackles, 24%, Trevion Henderson, 22%. And then the three receivers individually, Garrett Wilson, eight, Olave, five, Smith and Jigba, five. So the receivers combined 18 and then everybody defensively way before that, below that, because you think it's an offensive game for Ohio State. Defensive ends, 4%. Steel Chambers, 2%. Haskell Garrett, 1%. Denzel Burke, 1%. So the idea that you think, well, what's going to win the game for Ohio State? is like, I don't know. It's, it's best offense in the country, probably. You picked that. So that's what people picked. We talk about, with Aaron, some under-the-radar stuff, but I do want to talk about where the textures went with this. Because I have a particular thing that's going to be on one on one of our videos for outrageous predictions. I was trying to figure out under the radar guys. I might have put guys on here who aren't really under the radar. Defensively, I went with Bryson Shaw, Lathan Ransom, Marcus Williamson, JT Tuimaloau, Jack Sawyer, Tommy Eichenberg, Craig Young were my defensive choices. Offensive under the radar, Jeremy Ruckert, who was like, is Jeremy Ruckert under the radar? It's like, well, I don't know. He's, he's not one of the three receivers. And he's not Trevon Henderson. So he's, he's the sixth guy on the offense behind the receivers, the running back and the quarterback. So I felt okay putting him there, even though he's an established player. Also on offense, um, Mayan Williams. Also on offense, Cade Stover. And then a Mecca Buka offense slash special teams. And Jesse Murko, the punter. Like, could you punt your way to victory? So we do talk about this a little bit on the crossover, but Nathan, just like the list, what do you think? Who are the most interesting names on there? And, and do you actually think an under the radar guy will actually pop? Like, or is this just going to be like stars are going to be stars. And this is about Hutchinson and Ajabo versus Petit, Petit Fer and Dewan Jones. And it's about CJ Stroud and the receivers. Well, it seems like someone under the radar always does kind of pop in this game to some extent. Um, at least in, in recent vintage, right? I mean, whether that's Chris Olave in 2018, you know, the, there have been some some guys who really jump-started a career here. So my pick would be Egbuka, and that's a, maybe a, a tricky pick because we're not 100% sure he's going to play. Ryan Day was optimistic that he's going to play on Saturday after missing the Michigan State game. But if he plays, uh, he's been trending towards 
some kind of a breakout there in the in the kick game. You can already say, I mean, he's leading the Big Ten. I think he's like fourth or fifth in the nation in kick return average. Uh, you know, if this is the best defense Ohio State's played or one of them, one of the things that Ohio State always has in its back pocket is that it can, you know, use him in the right circumstances for a, you know, 30, 40 yard gain at the start of these, these series. So I would take a Buka as my pick. Steven, anybody popping? Go ahead. Yeah. First and foremost, this would be the game where opening, like he does, he pulls a Saquon Barkley and just takes back the opening kickoff. Mm. It's like, Oh yeah, that guy, the number one wide receiver in the 21 recruiting classes, Returning kicks, but I, 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 I the, def- the freshman defensive end, Jackson and JT Malowal, I think this is an opportunity for them to kind of arrive here. But mo- I, I talked about that later on, so you can hear that. I'll say Mayan Williams just because I think there is a world that we could live in where maybe it's just like the answer is give the ball to Travion Henderson and he does get to, tw- I'm not going to rule that out completely, even though that's not where my mind is. And so maybe he gets 20 carries, but they're, they are still going to bring Mayan into this game. I, I asked Ryan about it. Is it like every three series you want to go with Mayan in a world where like Travion is a workhorse. And he basically just said, yeah, that's where we want to live in. So what if that happens and Travion Henderson is worn down a defense. And then the first time Mayan gets on the field, cause he is a little bit of a violent runner. He he's, you know, yards per carry average, even if it's only like eight carries, it's like nine yards per carry because he's coming out there. And he's already juiced up because of what Travion's been doing and the defense is tired and he just kind of puts him to bed. I think there is room for that. It's not a full game's worth of things, but uh-huh. it's two series where he takes seven carries and turns it into 87 yards just because he's that juiced up and this offensive line is working. I think those both make a lot of sense. I do have like a Ruckert little scheme in my head that I double check this and this will be my outrageous prediction on our video. I think Ruckert's played 45 career games. He's had 37 games where he did not catch a touchdown, but and a lot of those, I mean, he played 12 games as a freshman and didn't really have an offensive role. He's had four games with one touchdown and then he's had another four games with two touchdowns. So he scored 12 touchdowns in his career and eight of them have come in the combo game, right? So this is a guy that kind of when he pops, he pops. And we know what that looks like against Clemson in the opener a couple of years ago in 2019. My prediction is that Jeremy Ruckert catches two touchdowns in this game. And I think I'm going to cough. Hold on. <coughs> Sorry. It is a, an adjustment to what we saw before. We talked about the Purdue game with George Karloftis, that they kept the tight ends in a lot, right? That you got to help out on this. Mm-hmm. And so I think an idea of like, okay, well, maybe you expect the tight ends. You get you, you do run 12 a little bit, right? But you expect, even when Rucker's in the game by himself, well, they got to help out. They got to help out. He's going to stay in. And then Rucker looks like he's helping, helping Nicholas Petit Frere on Hutchinson, but actually he's going to slip out after a second and be open in the flat, right? Or that I, I just could see as part of this, all right, well, Mike McDonald's going to say, well, not that we're going to do it, but we're going to try to make it as hard as possible to throw to the three receivers. And then the the adjustment back is, all right, we're going to throw it to Ruckert. We're going to hand it to Henderson. Not that you're going to stop the receivers, but as an under the radar thing, I just think maybe this could be Jeremy Ruckert's fifth multi-touchdown game of his career. Cause I think there's some schematic stuff where chess match wise, maybe the tight end, find some room to maneuver. So um, Ruckert led the vote. He's kind of the most famous guy on the list. Ruckert, 28% from the Texters. Agbuka and Craig Young, both 
Uh, JT, 12%. Mayan Williams, 10%. Tommy Eichenberg, 8 Jack Sawyer, 6 Marcus Williamson and Latham Ransom, uh, Ransom, 3 each. Bryson Shaw and Jesse Murko, 1 each. And uh, just a handful of votes for Cade Stover. So I think you need both, right? Win this game, you need stars, and you need under-the-radar guys. But this could just be the continuation of Ohio State's offense is too good. I tried to ask Ryan Day about it, Stephen. I maybe didn't do it in the greatest way, but trying to ask him how Ohio State dropping 62 and 56 on Michigan the last two times they played, like changed the fabric of the rivalry that there are certain things that happened. And if this is a continuation of that, then when you look, if they get over 50 again, and it's like, oh, they didn't, they got over 50 twice in a row, then they didn't play. Michigan changed defensive coordinators, and then they got 50 again, right? That, that, when you look backwards, I like to think about that. 50 years from now, when you look back and the next versions of us are going through record books and like, oh man, did you know that Ohio State scored 50 in the rivalry three straight games from, 2018 to 2021, that would be something. And I, I, that's certainly possible, Stephen, but I do think that would be sort of like a, a moment in the rivalry. I don't think he could give you genuine thoughts standing up there because it's, it's basically asking him, Hey, are you just going to kick your rival's butt every single year? You know what I mean? But, it's, but it's, I it's kick a it a genuine... kick in a specific way, right? Yeah, right. specific. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a genuine question that I am wondering. Like, if you like pulled him off to the side and just had a conversation with him about that idea of, as I talked about on on, I think there was a Wednesday pod where we asked about you know Michigan people hating Ryan Day. He took away hope, and that's like a hopeless way to live when your rival is consistently scoring fifty plus points on you and you're struggling to get to thirty. That's a I, I, that's probably his role in this right now. Jim Trestle's role was to flip it and get this thing back on track. Urban Myers was to, you know, push this program to a not, national prominence while also you're not losing to Michigan along the way. Maybe that's what Ryan Day's role is, is to take all hope and all doubt that this is ever going to go back in the favor of Michigan. We did a pod, I think, over the summer. I don't know if it was this summer or last summer, asking when is Ohio State going to take over the lead in the overall series, and we all picked very close dates. And that's kind of where, you know, Ryan Day lives at this point. So I do think there is a level of, He's a little cocky. He's an East Coast guy. He's a little bit cocky, and I think he does. I think there is a part of him that, yes, he, whether he actually said that I will, I'm going to hang 100 on you the next time we play or not, I do think there's a level of, like, we're going to score 50 every time we play this team, and there's going to be a lot of things we do through the season that are going to lead into that, like what you were talking about with the tight end situation. It really is. This is not really game-related, but I do think Ryan Day has supreme confidence in his own ability these mm-hmm. as an offensive play caller to out chess match the other guy. And then he is at a place where he can recruit supreme talent to execute those plans. And so Nathan, that I do think he carries that knowledge with him every day, but it is particularly useful in this rivalry game. Yeah. I understand why he doesn't give you the answer that we are probably looking for there just because they're at a stage where all they can be thinking about is winning the game by any score. Like they, they, the, the stakes are too high. Like if they lose by any score, if they lose by one point, 
it's the same as losing by 60 in terms of their playoff chances, right? And in terms of their Big Ten championship chances. So, But I think there is something to be said right now for, as I've said before on this podcast, I think several times, whenever we talk about Michigan, it just seems like a program that should be more than it is. And the longer Ohio State can keep it under its boot, like not just not just beating it, but like keeping it really ground down and and kind of stomped down. The longer Ohio State can do that and kind of keep that the reality of what Michigan should be, as long as they, the longer they can keep that dormant, then the better it is for Ohio State, regardless of the rivalry. But just having another good team in the Big Ten that's kind of being kept at arm's length, like the big brother holding the little brother down. I think that has merit. And I don't think that it means that Ryan Day goes into a game game planning for style points, but I do think it means that the way Ohio State has won these games the last couple of years matters. And if they can do it again and just keep extending that, I think that matters. Okay, let's get to the crossover. We'll welcome in Aaron McMahon of MLive.com. A good 35 minutes digging into the matchups, the players that matter for this game on Saturday. We'll do that right after this on Buckeye Talk. Here for Crossover Talk, Buckeye Talk and Wolverine Confidential. I'm Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com with Stephen Means and Nathan Baird of Cleveland.com and Aaron McMahon of MLive. So we have a bunch of you know categories and such. We're going to run through both sides of this game, both sides of the rivalry. We're going to have the experts talk about theirs teams because, I, I mean, Aaron, you're covering a team. You don't know all the stuff about Ohio State. Stephen and Nathan. No true knowledge of Michigan. So we're going to have all expert talk except for this part where I'm talking. That's just made up garbage. All right. Let's start with this. We're going to dive into a lot of football because, you know, in this week we can get do a lot of intangible stuff and all that's important. But we want to get to the football. But I want to talk about stakes, first of all. Jim Harbaugh has talked all week about how this is a playoff game. It really is. Nathan, okay, so we know it's the rivalry. We know it's the game. We know it's the biggest game on the schedule. We know it's all that matters. We know all that stuff. But how would you describe more precisely the stakes for Ohio State in this game? Who they are, what they've been so far, and where they're trying to get, and what this, how this game fits into that? Well, this is a team that obviously has been chasing this sort of, this status that they've now achieved all season in a lot of ways. Coming out of the gate, obviously showing some vulnerabilities and taking a loss early. And then it's about whether or not this team can get back to where the last couple of teams have been and sort of keeping this program on that, that playoff tier, that like rare air that they've been existing in. So now it's just a matter of, of, of finishing that drive. They've, they've put themselves in this position, you know, climbing all the way up to being two in the rankings in the latest rankings and people already sort of looking ahead at the a a Georgia Ohio state, game as being sort of the natural culmination of this season, uh, the, the whole college football season in some ways. And so this is just it, the, the rivalry obviously always bakes in a lot of stakes, but uh, now it's about whether this team achieves what its potential was or not. And this is the game that's standing in the way. Aaron, again, Jim Harbaugh using the phrase playoff game a lot this week. How would you describe the stakes for Michigan here? Yeah, just that. I mean, this is a program that right now this season has exceeded expectations. I mean, remember before the season even started, I think their preseason win total was seven and a half. So I think eight wins would have been a success this year. But if you tell that to Michigan fans, they don't want to hear it. I mean, Harbaugh has been here 
Uh, you know, he's been expected to win championships. He hasn't done it. And now here we, here we find Michigan back in a familiar position. I mean, they've been here before. This isn't the first time they've you know, gone into this game with the ability to get to Indianapolis and potentially more. Um, so, I mean, everything is on the line here, not, not only from a getting to Indianapolis standpoint, um, but, you know, Harbaugh's legacy is still on the line here. I mean, he's, he has been defined so far by his inability to beat Ohio State uh, his losing record against Michigan State and just his inability to win the big games. And this is just another one, another instance of, of that. Now, some of that can be erased, I think, with this win on Saturday. You know, if Michigan comes out and, and pulls the upset and finally gets to Indianapolis, I, I think you'll see some of those doubters or critics of Jim Harbaugh uh, start to quiet. Uh, but right now, as, as we've seen year in and year out, they haven't been able to do it. So I, I think there's a ton of line, not only for Michigan, but for Jim Harbaugh. It is interesting to me, just uh, I'm intrigued, you know, stuff happens, but this is a, this is on a cycle of big games. There are a lot of anniversaries right now, like five years ago is the 2016 overtime game. 10 years ago is the last time Michigan won. 15 years ago is the one versus two 2006 game. 20 years ago is Jim Tressel's first game in the series that sort of redefined that. 25 years ago is the 96 game, which was, again, one of those times where Michigan jumped up and ruined what might have been a national championship season for Ohio State. 35 years ago is Jim Harbaugh's guarantee game. So we might be on track for, you know, a game that really sometimes, I mean, the game's the game, but there are games that enter the fabric of the rivalry a little bit more. We, maybe we're on the cycle of having one of those, but let's dive, dive into the football here. What's the plan? What's the offensive plan, Aaron, for how you think Michigan is going to come out and try to attack? I know Jim Harbaugh's talked about time of possession. We know how Michigan runs the ball. What will it look like Saturday? Well, I mean, they're going to have to play keep away from Ohio State. They're going to have to keep the football away from the Buckeyes, and I think that goes back to their MO. They, they have their identity all season long, running the football and holding on to the football, having long, sustained drives, um, dominating time of possession, and kind of controlling the clock because by and large this season, they've done that. Um, you know, they did that against Wisconsin. They did it largely against Penn state. It's one of the reasons why they are where they are at this point. Um, they have a better run game than they have, I think in years past, their offensive line is more experienced and they've leaned on that. You know, we saw that early on with, with Blake Corm and Hassan Haskins, that's kind of gone you know, more to where as the season has gone on, it's been more Hassan, um, but they're going to have to run the ball effectively, move the chains and control the ball because I, I think they realize they don't want, and we've, we've seen this all season long, opponents do not want to give Ohio State the football uh, because while Michigan State's defense, I think, is improved and more equipped to handle the Buckeyes, uh, I don't know if they can necessarily keep up. So the, it, the MOs it must be pretty simple. You know, they're going to have to move the chains and keep the football and, and end up scoring. For a while earlier this year, Michigan struggled to convert red zone drives into touchdowns. They've gotten better over the last couple of weeks. Um, but they're going to have to be certainly be, be efficient in that area too. Steven, when you hear that Michigan plan, does that sound like something that the Ohio State defense will have trouble with, or is it something that the Ohio State defense can maybe handle in trying to stop that? Yeah, I don't know if they have to come out and do what Has completely do what Haskell Garrett did against Michigan State and just from the first snap just be in the backfield and let Kenneth Walker know they're going to be there. But I do think 
I think the magic number is 14. I think this defense needs to allow this offense to get up 14 points because then you're putting Michigan in a bind a little bit. Now they have to throw it. I understand that Cade McNamara has been a little bit more efficient the last couple of weeks in that Michigan State game. He showed some things. But if you take away Michigan's bread and butter, which is their running game, not because you're shutting it down and, you know, Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins can't run on you, but because they literally are not allowed to run the ball because now you have to throw it to play keep up. Then you put Michigan in a situation where they're doing something they don't want to do and this Ohio State defensive line can get after the quarterback a little bit. So that's how I look at it. This this Ohio State defense just needs to get uh, just get two stops in a row. Just get two stops in a row where now Ohio State's offense has scored and let's see what happens. Ohio State has the ball. We know they have three of the best receivers in the country. Nathan, how do you think Ohio State's going to go about attacking this Michigan defense? You know, I don't think this Ohio State offense right now feels like it has to change much about itself and much about its attack. I think it's it's supremely confident in what it does. And I think it's set itself up over the course of this season to give opponents so many things to worry about legitimately that it, it, it takes a lot of leverage into any, any matchup. Um, we'll see how that plays out maybe down the line if they get that far where they play, uh, obviously, potentially elite defenses. But I, I am intrigued by what happens if, you know, the, the Michigan State thing, that isn't going to happen 10 out of 10 times when they play Michigan State. Like, they're better than Michigan State. They're going to beat Michigan State maybe even comfortably, but it's not going to be 49 to nothing every time. Some of that was things started rolling downhill and the Spartans got kind of buried by the avalanche. So what does happen when Michigan, if Michigan can interrupt some drives, it was just a couple weeks ago that we saw a team doing this. If Ohio State has any trouble, you know, staying on schedule, does that give Michigan an opening to to slow things up? I, I still think, though, that this is still going to be what we've seen from Ohio State all year, which is spread the ball around this offense, which they're doing probably more equitably than they have at any point this year, as far as this receiving core. And uh, once teams are, you know, overcompensating for that kind of attacking the soft underbelly with what Trevin Henderson is and can be. So that, I mean, the idea of you throw it to Jackson Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And then if you're, Worried about that. Now here comes freshman Trevon Henderson. How does the Michigan defense deal with that, Aaron? Great pass rushers, right? And I've, you know, they have dudes at every level of the defense. Can they deal with it? That's the question. And, and this isn't the first time Michigan's had dudes at every level of the defense and just gotten shellacked. Um, so I think the key for Michigan on Saturday is sustaining, you know, consistent pressure on C.J. Stroud, forcing him to get rid of the ball quickly and, and forcing him to make mistakes. Um, because this Michigan secondary, while it is a little bit more experienced than, than, in, than it has been in years past, it still has its issues. Um, they have Daxon Hill at safety, who I think is by far their best secondary guy. They're probably going to uh, you know, have him either bracket in coverage or put him you know, quick on, on one of the Ohio State receivers. But Mi- Michigan is going to have to force some mistakes from Stroud, force him to get rid of the football quickly. And, and hopefully Michigan creates some turnovers over that because I don't really see this Michigan secondary stopping Ohio State receivers. They're going to get, they're going to probably get some big explosive plays. Um, the, I will say the one thing Michigan's defense has done a very good job of this year that we haven't seen in years past is keeping the football in front of them. There haven't been a ton of those explosive plays that Ohio State's hit on Michigan in years past. Um, so that that's one good thing I think m- the new defensive coordinator Mike McDonald has done. 
Um, and then red zone defense. I, I have no doubt that Ohio State is going to move the football on Saturday, but Michigan is going to have to force them into some field goals once they get into the red zone uh, and just limit the number of points on the board. Um, because if this this does get into a shootout where where you know, Ohio State's able to move run move the football and score easily, it's not a game Michigan wants to get into, and it's co- quite frankly not one they're equipped to win in. I want to step back from the nitty-gritty for a second and get back to a little bit of context. It just is a little bit odd that these two fan bases did not witness each other in person last year. So you watch from afar. Michigan had a rough year. Ohio State went to the national championship game. But you didn't get your own eyeballs on it. Nathan, when we think about this Ohio State team, what's the context of how good this Ohio State team is to compare to to recent Ohio State teams? Right. Ohio State has made the playoff in four of the seven years in the playoff era, the last two in a row. How good are these Buckeyes in comparison to themselves? Obviously, this defense is not what the 2019 defense was. Few defenses are. That was a defense that was you know loaded with you know Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, um, Damon Arnett, um, other NFL ready guys. So this defense does not come in and shut teams down and take over games the way that that one could. Problem for opponents is this offense is better than those last two offenses were, which is kind of crazy to think about. I think from the outside, sometimes when you look at, you know, Justin Fields being a Heisman Trophy finalist in 2019 and J.K. Dobbins on that team and some future NFL guys in the receiving core and then everything they did last year. And again, with Justin Fields, a first round draft pick. And now you've got a, a redshirt freshman quarterback and a true freshman running back and some holes that they had, they remade the offensive line and somehow what the end result was something even better than what they were dealing with before. And whatever deficiencies they have elsewhere with the defense, this offense makes up for so many other potential mistakes or potential um, issues that, that, an, that a, an opponent can create. Because when, when it's this, when the scoring is this relentless, and like we said, it hasn't been this way in every single game and not even every single game of the second half of this season, but when this offense does what it did the last two weeks, the pressure that it puts on an opponent, not just its defense, but its offense is significant. And it, it makes teams have to kind of play perfect and then hope that perfect is good enough. I'm trying not to be hyperbolic, but when the offense does what this does, when it scores every single time, what, what are you going to do? Stephen, what do you what do you have to add to that? We know how the Ohio State offense in in feels like half its games has just had those first halves where they feel like they're scoring a touchdown every drive. Yeah, I think the only offense you can probably compare this to is 2018. But the thing that takes this one over the top is they can run the ball. JK just for whatever reason had a bad year and Mike Weber wasn't you know, Mike Weber wasn't that good. Let's just be frank about it. So because they couldn't run the ball, it was just kind of the Dwayne Haskins show. And so uh, Michigan obviously just played man that entire game, which threw that off. But if you could, you know, slow that down a little bit and make them one dimensional, then oh, that offense went away. You can't do that here because if you play, if you just put two men back and you just say, Hey, you have to run the ball on us. Okay. Travion Henderson's here to play then. And if you don't do that, if you try to stack the box and take him away, then you've got these receivers to deal with. So it's just too many options on the board. And now that this defense is coming along, and has shown that they can be dominant at times. They're not they're not an elite level defense, but they're a good enough defense that they can string together stops when necessary and add to the momentum that this offense already has. Aaron, we know Jim Harbaugh is 0 and 5 against Ohio State, but 2018 Michigan was favored going into that game. 2016, that's a 50-50 game. That's a coin flip. You play that 10 times, Michigan's going to win five, went to overtime. What's the context of how this Michigan team 
compares to some recent Michigan teams. So I, this all, Michigan offense, as it is right now, I think is the perfect Jim Harbaugh offense. He always likes to talk about being balanced and rushing for 200 yards and throwing for 200 yards. And this is generally, I, I think, what, what they want. You know, they get the tight ends involved. Um, and I think for the first time in, in several years, maybe during Jim Harbaugh's entire tenure, I, I think they believe they have a couple of like legit dogs at running back. They got guys who can get yards after carry, pick up a first down when they need to. And that just really hasn't been the case in years past. Michigan's had fine running backs. They've had guys who have rushed for a thousand yards plus, but not guys who can really carry the, put the offense on their back and, and win games because of them. And, th- and that's been the difference this year. They've leaned on the running game, as I mentioned earlier. It's been a big reason for why they've won, you know, especially earlier in the year. Um, so I think that dimension itself has opened things up. Now, Cade McNamara was criticized earlier this year for his just inability to hit deep balls and Michigan's unwillingness to throw the ball. Um, but I, I think Michigan leaning on its run game all season long has, has opened things up for the passing game. And I think for the first time in a while, they, they truly believe they have a balanced offense uh, and something where they, they can win either way. Um, the, the one issue, I think, with the Michigan offense that hasn't really – blossomed yet is just the, the the inconsistency at receiver they have a lot of guys there but no one who's really stepped up uh they had one guy step up one game and another guy step up another game so uh, you know from offensive perspective it's certainly not jim harbaugh's best but i think ideally it's what he wants to run and 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 i think they've gotten better as the season has gone on which i think is most important now defensively that's interesting because you know the, the previous few matchups between Michigan and Ohio State Michigan's defense was almost always ranked in you know top five top ten statistically they're you know they were able to shut you know uh, inferior teams down but the problem was when they would go up against high-powered offenses like in Ohio State or like uh, Wisconsin or whatever the case may be that they always struggled Um, this year it's been a little different you know they've they're they're a little bit more diverse defensively a little less man coverage, not afraid to play zone. And as I mentioned, that they're keeping the ball in front of them. So I think they're better equipped to handle an offense the caliber of Ohio State. The problem is they haven't faced an offense the caliber of Ohio State, nor anything close to it this season. So I'm really curious to see how they handle it. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I want to say that they're going to do a better job uh, just containing them. But again, it's tough to say when you haven't really gone against you know the type of receivers Ohio State has. Let's go back to the Michigan offense then, Aaron. Who Three guys. Three guys on this Michigan offense that you would say are the keys to the game for the Wolverines. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you got to start with Kay McNamara. He's been a good game manager all season long. He hasn't done anything fantastic. He hasn't thrown for 400 yards. He's, he's not going to light the world on fire. But I think what Jim Harbaugh really likes about him is he manages the offense. They move the football just fine, and he doesn't really make mistakes. Uh, he's good at reading defenses. Uh, and, and when he does, um, you know, when he does make a, you know, make a mistake, it, it's not cr- crushing. He's not going to turn the ball over. And I, I think that's what they really like about him. And it's one of the reasons why they haven't gone to J.J. McCarthy just yet at quarterback. I, I think the fan base has been clamoring for that. But McNamara has played well enough and understands the offense well enough to where they, they feel comfortable with him. So I think he's going to have to be, again, the, the, the type of player we've seen all season long, not make mistakes, um, make the right plays. And if he does that, I think it's going to put Michigan in a position to win. Um, you know, again, Hassan Haskins is going to be key to if Michigan is going to win the game on Saturday, it's because he's going to top 100 yards. He's going to get some big runs, yards after contact, and break a, a big run or two. Uh, he did that against Penn State a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's, he's shown a knack for doing that all season long. Uh, so he, he's going to be a key piece, too. And then, you know, a third guy, you know, Blake Corum is expected to play on Saturday. I don't expect him to be 100%. He hasn't played the last couple of weeks. He's dealing with a high ankle sprain. But 
the one thing about him is he, he played very poorly against Michigan St- in the loss to Michigan State. He dropped a, a probably a would-be touchdown pass. Uh, he fumbled the football. They really need him to come up and, and make a couple big plays. I'm not expecting him to have a big game on the ground. He's probably not going to be able to do it with his, with his ankle, but he needs to give them something. And if he can, whether it's in the passing game or, uh, again, a big run or something to that effect, um, you know, I, I think Michigan's they're going to have a shot. Let's think about that matchup then, Nathan. Ohio State's defense, three guys that'll make a difference. I mean, the one that jumps out to me immediately, uh, this is a, a, maybe an odd one if, if from the Ohio State fan base side of things, but we don't know if Cody Simon is going to play. I think Tommy Eichenberg could play a huge role in this game. He's a guy that's been coming on a little bit lately. He played more and played better last week against Michigan State and um, is maybe suited to this matchup. Linebacker, linebacker, linebacker for yeah. Michigan Middle, listeners. Yeah, sorry, Mike Linebacker, who is is maybe more suited for a team that is a, a run-heavy opponent. I think uh, someone like Bryson Shaw is also going to be important in this game because we don't know any time that – I think Michigan runs the ball well enough that there's going to be some point where the free safety is going to have to make an important tackle to stop what, what Aaron's talking about with, with someone like Haskins being able to get beyond the second level and do a lot of damage. And there's going to be a lot of responsibility on, on someone like Shaw to, to prevent that from happening. And then I'm going to say uh, up front, um, I guess I'll go with Haskell Garrett. We saw him making a presence last week against Michigan state really came out and set the tone on the first play of the game, defensive tackle. And uh, they, they rotate a lot of guys through the nose. So whether there's going to be a handful of guys that, that play there, but Garrett is the leader of that group and is healthier now than he was a few weeks ago. And I think his presence is going to be important again against a team that wants to come out and establish the run and sort of lay that as a foundation. Steven, Ohio state offense, same things, three offensive Buckeyes. that will make a difference. Yeah. I mean, one and two have to be the tackles, Nicholas Petit, Fair and Dewan Jones. And maybe you can even throw there there whenever they kick him outside for time being, but Shutting down Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo is your priority number one, two, and three. Because if C.J. Stroud is just back there, as he said on Saturday, if he's just back there chilling and is able to just pick apart this Michigan defense, well, then that's it's game over. There's nothing you can – if your quarterback – if a young quarterback is back there comfortable with the weapons he has, then it really doesn't matter how good the coverage is because at some point somebody's going to get open and he's going to hit him on the mark. We've seen that time and time again. So it starts with those two and neutralizing, you know, those two pass rushers. And then there's Travion Henderson, because that, that, that's the, that's, Added to this, I, I'm, I have faith in C.J. Stroud. I have faith in Travion Henderson as well. But it seems like that's where that's like the final piece with this offense is when you can have balance, when you're not really sure what's going to come at you. There's at this point in the season, we're seeing a lot of stuff from Ryan Day where you're seeing pre-stat motion or they're faking jet sweeps. They're faking handoffs to Garrett Wilson. They're faking handoffs to Travion Henderson. And all of a sudden, Chris Olave is open downfield. That all starts with establishing the passing game and the, sta- the short game passing game, establishing Garrett Wilson maybe as a runner, but more importantly, establishing. Travion Henderson. I don't think he has to have 20 carries in this game, but if he has 14 carries and 114 yards, I mean, that means he was a threat all game and consistently putting pressure on this on this Michigan's, uh, Michigan front seven. You briefly mentioned Thayer there. That's Thayer Munford, the left guard, who played tackle yes. last year. They, at times, have moved him to tackle and moved guys around, but they haven't done it like the last two weeks, and they really only did that in two games, and I actually think they can't do that in this game. I think it messes 
with their offensive line when they move guys around just because they have the ability to do it. At times they've had to do it like Dewan Jones wasn't feeling well. But I think if Ohio State gets away from Nicholas Petit Frere as a left tackle and Dewan Jones is the right tackle, any snap where that's not the case, I think is an edge for Michigan. So uh, I know they like to maybe messing around with that flexibility. I don't think this is a time to do that. So I do think that is a good matchup on those edges. So Aaron, Michigan defense, who are the three guys for the Wolverines? Yeah, the first two are easy. I mean, they're up at the line. You guys have mentioned them, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo. I mean, they have been workhorses all season long. They've they've disrupted opposing offenses. They've got the quarterback with relative ease. And that has to be the case on Saturday for Michigan to be successful. You know, Hutchinson, they have um, they've kind of altered the way they u- utilized him. Obviously, traditionally, they would usually usually put him on the you know hand on the ground uh, against the opposing offensive line. This year, they're doing some different stuff. And they're, they're, he's he's um, sometimes he's standing up, sometimes he's down. Uh, so they're, they're really trying to mess with opposing offenses and trying to disguise stuff to where they can get him free and get him to the quarterback. And it ha- really hasn't been an issue all season long, which. Has uh, it's kind of surprised me. Uh, opposing teams haven't been able to game plan for him, and I think that's a big reason why he for why he's been successful. And on the, uh, the other side, I think because Aiden Hutchinson had such a big year, it's benefited David Ajabo. You know, Ajabo is more of a you know outside linebacker, edge rusher type guy, more traditional in that sense. He reminds me a lot of Josh Uche a couple of years ago. Ohio State fans might be familiar with him. He ended up he was more of a Uche was more of a package guy under Don Brown's system. They would bring him in basically strictly to blitz the quarterback. And, and that's kind of a similar thing with Ajabo. You know what you're going to get from him. Most of his production is strictly sacks or tackles for loss. Uh, so Michigan, he's, he's kind of – so Ajabo's been given more of a role this year. Uh, his responsibility has increased as the season has gone on. I expect to see him on the field a lot Saturday. Uh, third name I'll give you is Daxton Hill. It, Michigan is going to need a playmaker in the secondary to do something, whether it's you know deflect some passes, intercept a pass, some, something that affects you – you know, switch the field, give Michigan extra possessions. And if there's one guy to do it, it's going to be him. I mean, he's by far their best, their best secondary player. He's projected to be a potential first round pick in the draft. He's a guy again, who like Hutchinson, they have utilized in different, different ways this year. Um, they haven't been afraid to put him at the line of scrimmage and blitz the quarterback. They haven't been able to, they haven't been afraid of putting him at the line of scrimmage and dropping him back and pass coverage. Traditionally, he's been more in that free safety role this year. He's been, he's just been all over the place, more of a rover, rover type. Uh, so again, you know they're they're going to have to disrupt what Ohio State is going to do, uh, and if they don't do it, you know Ohio State's going to have a I think a field day. All right, let's talk under the radar. This is a game, you know, it's a rivalry game. Sometimes guys make their names in a game like this. Nathan, who's an under the radar Buckeye who has a chance to pop on Saturday? I guess maybe I should have saved this one for the, because I think Tommy Eichenberg is probably a good name to throw in here just because he's a guy that hasn't even been starting for Ohio State the last several weeks. And again, we don't even know like Cody Simon is their starter at Mike linebacker. He got hurt early in the last game, but Eichenberg has been playing more snaps the last couple of weeks and we've been seeing him play well again. And I just think this is a matchup that suits him really well. Um, so he's the first guy that, that jumps to mind for me. If I can mention one other guy on defense, I would also say kind of in the same breath, um, Craig Young, who is a guy that has really bounced all around this defense, has never had what um, a starting role all year has been. You know, he was a bullet for a while, so working with the safeties. His background is at linebacker. And in this last game, they had him at cover safety, which is a, a completely new position for him. But it was begin because of what that Michigan State matchup provided them and presented them. So I think both of those guys, I would very good chance. Both of them are starting 
on Saturday, and both are potentially instrumental in slowing down what Michigan does. Steven, you got a Buckeye to add to that conversation? Yeah, Craig Young was definitely on my list. In the name of – there's been a freshman from on Ohio State's roster the last two times they've played who have just gone crazy in this game. I don't think it's going to be in the wide receiver room this year because those three aren't coming off the field unless something happens to them. So JT Tui Maloal and Jack Sawyer have been – you know, up and down with the snaps this year, just depending on what they need, what the game looks like, and as guys have gotten healthy, I am wondering if this is the game where one of them, I'm not saying they're going to play 30 snaps, but if they played 15 to 17 to 20 snaps in this game, if one of them just like has that moment where it starts to show what they're going to look like next year. I'll bank Jack Sawyer just because he's the better pass rusher right now. Maybe he gets two sacks or something like that in this game. It's like, hello, here's the guy that we've been kind of talking about all year that this is, this guy's coming. He's the next, you know, top 10 Ohio state draft pick on the defensive line. And this is the game where he kind of has his jumping off point. Two five-star recruits in the freshman class who, who back up, Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith, they have roles. They do have roles. Mm-hmm. And so they will be on the field and they're not afraid to have them in there on, you know, important downs in a game that matters. Aaron, who's a Wolverine under the radar. I'll give you two. Uh, one, both on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we'll start with tr- true freshman receiver, Andrew Anthony, former three-star recruit, kind of flew under the radar. He's from the state of Michigan, originally committed to Michigan State, actually flipped to Michigan at the last minute from East Lansing, actually. He has breakout game at Michigan State a few weeks ago. Six catches, 155 yards, two touchdowns. And of, of all the Michigan receivers that have really shown me something this year, it's been him. He, he's made plays. He's not afraid to go up and win those 50-50 balls, make those big catches. He had one uh, on Saturday against Maryland. Uh, he, he has shown to be a big, big play guy. Now, he hasn't made a ton of them, but the ones he has made have been huge. So don't be surprised if Michigan looks at him early on offensively uh, for, for a big play. Secondly, again, I'm staying on the opposite side of the ball, um, running back Donovan Edwards, another true freshman, another state of Michigan guy. Um, he, up until Saturday against Maryland, he hadn't done much. In fact, he, he only like a handful of carries, um, wasn't used much primarily because obviously Hassan Haskins and Blake Corman had been such a big deal for Michigan's run game. Um, but they really found a knack for utilizing him in the passing game. He had 10 catches, 170 yards, one touchdown on Saturday against Maryland. He was Michigan's leading receiver by far. Um, it, it, his confidence is slowly starting to build. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Michigan try to utilize him in the backfield. Um, he, he kind of filled that role last week that, that Blake Worm had. But I truly think now Michigan will find a way to get all three of those running backs on the field at different times and in different situations. And Edwards, I think, gives them another dimension to passing the game, which, as I mentioned at the beginning of this thing, they haven't really been able to figure out. So if they can get him the ball um, you, and utilize, lean on his speed, I think it gives Michigan another weapon to, to get in the end zone. All right, so that's uh, we wanted to dive in on the football. Before we get out of here, Aaron, just like the intangible factor, 15 of 16 for Ohio State, Harbaugh hasn't beaten Ohio State yet. Does that matter? Does that have any impact on Michigan's chances either way of winning on Saturday? That it's great motivation or that it somehow is a burden on them? Or is it just about football and that's not that big a deal? I think it's all the above. You know, if you ask the Michigan players or Harbaugh, they're, they're going to say, well, it doesn't really matter that, you know, that we're, we were, this team wasn't part of that, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think when you don't win 
in a rivalry game, I, I, I do think that matters. That it's a, it, there's a cumulative thing there. Like if you, you need to learn to win these games, I don't think you just win these games to win them. You have to, it, it, it's a thing. It's a mo, you know, you have to go in mentally prepared, thinking confident, like you can win this one. And when you don't do that, I, I think there's something there. Um, at the, but at the end of the day, obviously it's going to be a talent thing. Michigan, I, I clearly, I don't think has the same talent as Ohio state. Now that doesn't necessarily mean I don't think they can win this game. I, I think they're going to have to have put together a perfect game. They can't make mistakes. You have to force some uncharacteristic mistakes from Ohio state. Um, but you know, this, I, I, I don't know what to make of this game. You know, I, I think Ohio state is going to win it. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if it went any other way either. So this, this is going to be a fascinating matchup Saturday. This, and I, I'll, I'll be completely honest, I didn't expect this to be, be the case at all. You know, coming into this year, I had like three or four games where I'd, I'd written Michigan off. You know, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State for sure. And they, they showed me something at, at Penn State and Wisconsin. They showed a, a different vibe about them that they can go into an opposing place where they hadn't won in a long time in both those cases, Penn state and and Wisconsin, they hadn't won in several years. Uh, Previous meetings, they had gotten shellacked just like, uh, you know, with with Ohio state, they went in there and it was, there was just a different, I I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. They just, they they felt confident, looked like a confident football team. So I expect that Saturday in in, in Ann Arbor, um, I expect them to come out ready to go. I, it's just going to be a question whether they can match up talent-wise with, with Ohio State's speed on the offensive side of the ball. I do think sometimes home field advantage in games like this can be overrated because everyone's going to be jacked up on both sides of the ball no matter what. You can spin it however you want to. However, Stephen, C.J. Stroud's road games in his career so far, Minnesota, Rutgers, Indiana, Nebraska. He's never really played a good team on the road, and he's never played a defensive line as complete as Michigan's defensive line. Is that anything? Not that I'm saying C.J. Stroud's going to fold and collapse, but I think there is a combination of legitimate football stuff with the Michigan defense and some intangible situational stuff that he has not yet faced to this point. I think it needs to be said that he hasn't done it yet, but I do feel like to some extent the experiences he's had on the road help him like the having to play a Thursday night season opener at Minnesota in the rain. And as he admitted after the game that he was a little nervous in the first half and he needed to calm down a little bit. I think the way the Nebraska game went where it wasn't perfect and they looked a little off all day and they kind of had to pull that one out. That helps him there. So no, he hasn't from a talent standpoint, he hasn't faced anybody that Michigan's going to bring to the table, but I do think the environment itself even though this is times 10, he's kind of seen before to an extent. And so he can draw on some of those experiences to help him today. But also, I mean, he's got the best unit of the four units here. So I think there's some confidence there. So I think he'll be fine. You see anything in just in, in the cracks of this game, Nathan, just like a thing, something here or there that we haven't talked about yet that can actually factor into what's going on here. Or, I mean, I, I do think, I think this game is pretty on the surface in a lot of ways. It's like, it's a good Michigan team. Jim Harbaugh's never beaten Ohio State. This Ohio State offense is really good. Michigan has some really good defensive players. Mike McDonald's influence as a defensive coordinator, I think, is a fairly major factor compared to what happened with the Don Brown defenses in the last couple of years. Anything we're not thinking about, Nathan? I think we have sometimes forgotten, as this Ohio State defense has improved over the course of the year, just how many of these guys are stepping into a new experience on Saturday. It's it's not just C.J. Stroud. You've got 
you know, potentially like the whole secondary, if, if seven banks can't play, especially, but even seven banks wasn't a, a big part of this defense in 2019, the last time they played a game of this regular season game of this caliber. And, you know, Steel Chambers wasn't even a linebacker not, not that long ago for the, the guy who's going to be starting at will linebacker for Michigan fans who aren't, um, who aren't familiar and has, has emerged as probably Ohio State's best linebacker. So that does make me wonder how those guys are going to react in that scenario. But they've been reacting better as the season's gone along in bigger situations. And again, it's just if the if the Ohio State offense, it keeps on this this path that it's been on the, 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 the sort of just machine that's been rolling these last couple of weeks, then it, it obscures all of that stuff. So th- that's maybe the first thing, like, is there something about this environment or just Michigan rising to the occasion that finally interrupts the trajectory that Ohio state's offense has been on and makes this a game. And, and, and what, as Aaron was saying earlier, you know, can, can Michigan then on its side of the ball, keep the ball away from Ohio state, if, you know, one mistake sometimes can be lethal in these matchups because again, if Ohio state's just firing on, on this many cylinders at once. All right. For both audiences, Ohio state fans, Michigan fans, we hope this crossover podcast from cleveland.com and mlive.com helped you guys get ready for the game. We hope you have a great Thanksgiving and uh, make sure you are reading mlive.com and make sure you are reading cleveland.com after the game for all the coverage about the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. For now, for Aaron, for Steven, for Nathan, I'm Doug. Thanks to you guys for listening. So thanks to Aaron for that. Good crossover. Let's make our picks. We're terrible, as we note every week. I wish it's always like maybe if we talk about how terrible we are, maybe it'll gear us up for a big comeback. No, Um, not good last week again. We all took, well, Nathan and I both took Michigan State with the points. That was wrong. Steven gave the points. That was right. The over-under, Nathan wound up going under. That was right. Steven and I went over. That was wrong. For the season, against the spread, Steven Means, 4-6-1. Nathan Baird, 3-7-1. I am 2-8-1. Over-unders, I am 4-6-1. Nathan and Steven are 3-7-1. Our total picks... Steven is 7-13 and 2. Nathan and I are 6-14 and 2. For this game, when I sent it to the Texters, it was an eight-point spread. Ohio State favored by eight. It has now gone up to 8.5. So I guess we'll do 8.5. The over-under is 64 and a half. Nathan, I know that eight when we talked about it on Madness, I was saying, man, this feels like 10 to me. Didn't it come out at seven then? It came out at seven then went to eight and now it's up to eight and a half. So it's creeping, it's creeping towards Ohio state. Yep. I think there are even books where you could have maybe got it a six and a half at one point. That was, that was like a, I would have slammed that like, like one score, like Ohio state wins by a touchdown. Like that, that feels like, because it's like, do you think, do you think like Michigan's going to have the ball at the end with a chance to go ahead or win? Like that would be, that would be quite a thing. It's not impossible, but the difference between six and a half and eight and a half, I, I, I would be I'd start getting a little reluctant about eight and a half, but um, well, we'll find out in our picks. All right, Steven, let's start with you since you are slightly ahead overall with seven, 13 and two leading. God, we got to get tissue. Tissue is going to come back on. And then we're going to be, I'm going to ask Tyler Shoemaker, some version of the question. Tyler is this just been a really difficult year to bet on Ohio state. And he's going to be like, no, 
I am, I am, I'm 18 and four betting Ohio State this year. What is wrong with you people? And then we'll have to kick him off the podcast because he'll just be embarrassing us. All right, Steven, eight and a half. Ohio State's given that 64 and a half. What's your pick for the game? I feel like I'm living in a whole different world than what this line is. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I don't think this game is going to be close. I, I just don't see it. I'm 55 to 24. That's where I'm at with this, where it's they're easily over. They easily cover because this offense is just is just moving the ball and doing whatever it wants to do. And yes, the defense might give up a couple more things. I don't think Michigan's offense is going to play as badly as Michigan State's did, but I, I just don't see like eight and a half seemed very low to me. Oh, the line when it dropped, that seemed very low to me as well. So I'm just I'm 55 24 in a whole different world, thinking that Ohio State's just going to run away with this one. So that's a 31 point win. That's 14 and a half points over. The the thing, the one thing to me is if Michigan is competent, I think their offense could hold the ball a little bit, right? That if they don't, as, as Nathan, you've talked about a lot, Purdue's just giving the ball back to Ohio State, just making ridiculous mistakes. They might hold the Ohio State point total down a little bit not by stopping Ohio state, but just by not letting Ohio state get the ball 13 times in the game. So that's the only thing that makes me a little reluctant about them going over 50. And it's again, one of those, we've only said Mike McDonald's name a 400 times this week, but I just think if he's at least somewhat better than Don Brown, but Steve, I mean, but again, how do you bet against the Ohio state offense against anybody short of Georgia right now? How do you bet against the Ohio State offense? You're probably throwing your money away. So to go over and give the points this convincingly certainly has a very strong chance of coming true, I think. Nathan, what do you got? So I am going a little bit lower on the Ohio State score. I think this is the best team that Ohio State has played in this three-game triumvirate here at the end of the season. I thought that, uh, similar to the committee, I've, I've, I've thought Michigan was better than Michigan State all along. And that um, it was just one of those things that the Spartans happened to win that game a few weeks ago. But I'm in agreement with Steven that I don't know that it matters. I think we're maybe talking academically here a little bit that Ohio State is just existing on a a different level of of football right now. So I'm taking 42 to 22. That was actually the score that I had ciphered up before I saw that the over under was 64 and a half. So I guess I'm half a point under by sort of by accident, but that's still a, a comfortable win. I think if, if Michigan had found a way to win that Michigan state game and they were 11 and 0 coming into this game, then I think a, a 20 point win against a team that would be ranked number two, and they'd probably be ranked ahead of Ohio state right now, maybe um, would seem like a, a still a pretty bold pick in some ways. So 42 to 22 is my pick. So don't listen to that based on the numbers that Doug just read you a couple of minutes ago. Hmm. It's good when we at least disagree a little bit because then somebody somewhere has to get something right. So you are a half point under and Steven is 14 and a half points over. So that means someone's going to get something right. Woo. Congratulations to us. Victory lap. It could be a push too. I guess not if it's 64 and a half. It can't, it can't be 64 and a half. So it won't be a push. Right. All right. So I am being more circumspect about this, but I'm still giving the points with Ohio State, and I'm still going over. So I have 41-28. It's only a 13-point win, but I'm saying like only a 13-point win, which goes back to, man, 
it does not feel that hard to give eight and a half in this game that, that what it's one of those things. Again, it's almost like I bet the money line. Like if you really think that Ohio state's not going to win by eight and a half, then just take Michigan and get the bonus part of that. Like I, I, the idea of like Michigan, this is hard fought game and it's down to the worst. Like, I just, do you think Michigan's going to win or not? So I, 41 28 feels like a game to me. That is a lot. That 41 for Ohio State is Michigan six minute drive, like two, at least two six minute drives that result in points. Right. And that is, that is like, you know, no Cade McNamara pick sixes. Right. Because I mean, that's Steven, if that's part of it too, with all right, you know, the avalanche sometimes, as, as you've said, if you think Ohio State's getting out to a 14 point lead and it's 14 nothing late in the first quarter, and now they've got a throw, and now here comes Marcus Williamson with the pick six and Cade McNamara, and now we're off to the races, right? So I do think Michigan, to have a chance to even get to my score, Michigan has to do something in the first quarter, Stephen, or it, they might, it might get away from them. Score, touchdowns. Because that's because Michigan State didn't really turn the ball over at first. They just kicked the field goal and then they missed the field goal. And Ohio State went down and scored. And then the avalanche is on. You, if you're gonna do the six minute drive thing, it needs to end in a touchdown. You this, you can't allow. You can't just. You can't get three points in this game. Three points gives you gets you nothing here. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I got 28 from Michigan. No field goals for me. So I do yeah. think, and it's I don't really mean this, but if a Michigan receiver catches a pass behind the Ohio State defense, maybe run like 10 yards and take a knee. Like maybe don't take yeah. it to the house because it's like Michigan opens the game with a two-play 75-yard drive on the 69-yard touchdown pass by Cade McNamara. Then it's like, oh, cool. Well, now Ohio State has the ball. <laughs> right? I mean, like, can you start running out the clock? On the after the opening kickoff, I mean, not exactly, but I think a six-minute Michigan touchdown drive is substantially better than a one-minute Michigan touchdown drive, which isn't necessarily always the case. I guess. I mean, I guess, but but Harbaugh has mentioned time of possession so much, like they've got to hold it because holding Ohio State to forty-one, holding holding Ohio State to forty-one is really about the Michigan offense as much as Nathan as it's about the Michigan defense. Michigan's offense has to put pressure on Ohio state's offense. Like you have to right now, Ohio state's offense gets to exist in this world where even if it has an empty possession and knows this is going to score on the next one and the opponent's not really doing much with it. So it's, I feel like they go out, they can play very loose. They can play very confident, not just in their own abilities, but just in the fact that, they're playing a little bit of a different game right now. And Michigan's got to maybe take interrupt that, that line of thinking and, and interrupt the the comfort that, that, that Ohio state's offense can feel that it, it has uh, so much margin for error to play with on every possession. So it is a weird place to feel like, I mean, that, that to me is a kind of competitive game, but yet it's still take Ohio state minus and take the over. And it's so which, which, maybe would be a reason to take those two things because even you can wrangle like a competitive non-blowout where Michigan sort of successfully kind of holds down the best offense in the country and they still lose by two scores. So again, this line, I, I agree with you, Stephen, just like the Nebraska thing, I almost feel like this is a part of a Nebraska line still, right? That, yeah. that if Ohio State hadn't had that hiccup, it's like how could you give anybody short of Georgia – how could you have anybody less than two scores 
against Ohio State. But it made me look like an idiot. Oh, we go. That's what you get for underestimating Nebraska. It's like, are we kidding? What are we doing here? But the other thing about Nebraska is Nebraska almost beat Michigan. So, you know, like I I, I do want to uh, actually T-Shoe sent me kindly, kindly, the kindness of T-Shoe sent me a a thing about this that he thought was interesting. It was, he said, a, a nugget that he said he thinks is valuable in deciphering these team stats by looking only at the three best common opponents, which would be Penn State, Michigan State, Nebraska, which is right. T-Shoe's always looking for the angles of how to look at the game in a smart way. Points per play against those common opponents. Ohio State scored 0. 0.607 points per play. Michigan scored 0.361 points per play. So that is a pretty gigantic edge for Ohio State. Ohio State allowed 0.175 points per play. Michigan allowed 0.398 points per play. So Michigan lost to Michigan State, but beat Nebraska and Penn State, but they actually combined gave up more points per play than they scored points per play. Ohio State is like five to one. Four and a half to one or whatever. So, Nathan, that's a lot of decimals. That's more decimals, frankly, than I normally like to do on this podcast. I'm more of a fraction guy than a decimal guy. But that puts a little bit of this into context. But a lot of that also, not to, like, disregard what Tishu's saying, a lot of that is, hey, they both played Michigan State. Michigan lost to them, and Ohio State destroyed them. So a lot of that is built into those stats. I saw that tweet by Tyler and I used those numbers to come up with kind of the baseline that I was working off of for my score prediction. And it, if you just take those and apply them to the average number of plays for both teams this year, I got 35 to 19, but that seemed way too low for what really both of these offenses are doing. So I added three points to Michigan for being at home. I added seven points to Ohio state for just the way it's cooking right now. And that's how I got 42-22. Wow. So you're going to keep that to yourself, huh? I just exposed your secret little tweet with Tyler Shoemaker. Hey, Nathan thinks this is just for him. It's for the whole world, Nathan. It was sent to the whole world. Yeah, exactly. How did you guys not use those numbers to come up with your prediction? Honestly, I just thought, is Ohio State score to score 50 or not? And how many points is the defense going to give up? And not just pick some numbers on the board. I think I was in the bathroom listening to a podcast and I was like, oh, I got to pick my score. So then I just did that, which is why I'm five, 19 and two this year, whatever it is. Oh my God. We're going to take gambling more seriously, seriously, terribly. Again, I actually don't do that. I don't do it in three seconds. I actually, that's the worst part. I, I'm not, I can't be blase about it. Oh, I don't care. It's like, I hate people who are like that. Like that when you yeah. suck at something and it's like, oh, just because I didn't even try. It's like, yeah, you did try. You just suck at it. We're trying. We are actually trying. Nathan has a legal pad. It looks like he's doing his taxes. He's just making incorrect Ohio State picks. I've put a lot of work into my outrageous predictions this year. A lot of math has gone into this stuff. Yeah. Well, some of your outrageous times- predictions have actually happened. So that was actually I know, worth, worthwhile. Because I've, I've started putting work into them. So they actually started coming true. All right. Those are our picks. Thanks to you guys for hanging around. We hope you have a just awesome Thanksgiving. 
We hope you have an awesome Saturday for the game. It's fun. This is fun. I was a little surprised. Nathan, I don't know if you were one of the voters. I know Ralph Russo from the AP sent this out that they had. He said he asked, I don't know if it was 25 AP voters or something, for the best rivalry in college football. And Ohio State-Michigan finished second to Auburn-Alabama. Kind of by a lot. I think it was like Auburn-Alabama got 18 first-place votes and Ohio State-Michigan got 10. And I found it interesting. I'm not saying that Auburn-Alabama is not a great rivalry, but that to me was a little bit a reflection of two things. One is the dominance of Alabama in the college football landscape in general. It's anything that has Alabama associated with it. They're the best program in college football. But the other thing is that rivalry has actually been competitive at times, and the, the other team has won. So I was surprised, Nathan, but I think there are reasons for it. And... Michigan needs to make this slightly more competitive. We've talked about on this podcast before. It's not that Michigan has to win half the games. It's that they have to be more like Auburn in this rivalry, and they haven't been. I did not vote in that. I got the email, and just of all the other AP things I vote in, that was just an optional one that I didn't get time for this week. But, no, I think it's all about if you're not someone who has to listen to Ohio State players talk about that team up north, and you're not someone who experiences – you know, the pageantry of it from both sides, I guess, if you're just somebody who's voting from New Mexico or um, Vermont, then, I mean, Michigan's just getting blown off the face of the earth in this game the last couple of years. Like what do you, that, that affects how good of a rivalry you think it is. And I, I, as much as, as great as Alabama has been, at least, or at least, you know, Auburn has been a national championship contender in recent memory. So I think that's probably the direct effect of, of, of that. And Michigan does have to kind of bring up its end of this, as we've talked about ad nauseum. Yep. Auburn had a six-game winning streak in the series from 2002 to 2007. And then, like everything else in Alabama, Saban showed up and flipped it. But the whole point is that in the last 13 years, it's 9-4 Alabama. It's not 13-0. It's not 12-1. It's not the only way Auburn can win is when a half of, of Alabama's team is suspended against the best program in college football, against the the greatest college football coach in history, Auburn's won four of 13, which is pretty stinking good. Auburn won one year, and then Alabama went on and won the national championship, right? Yeah. yeah, They got got head-to-head on a field with a team that was going to win the national championship and beat them. So, I mean, it it is what it is. We get it, but – it shows up, right? There's an effect. And the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry matters most to the people involved, to the players, the coaches, the fans, the alumni of Ohio State and of Michigan. What somebody, a AP voter in Florida or New Mexico or Colorado thinks is not that big of a deal. But every year, everybody on both sides says it's the greatest rivalry in college football and it's the greatest rivalry in sport. And then you have something like this and it's like, well, that, this vote said it's not. Does that mean it's wrong? No, but Michigan's got to do something. And I think every year that, that Michigan, again, Michigan's been close. We've had some co- really fun competitive games. But that's, I think, a vote like that, which is a one minor thing passing in the night, you see the cost of this absolute two decades now almost of dominance. And it's that 
you know, I think people on the outside might be getting a little bored by it. We're not because we cover Ohio State because we know you guys care about it so much and because we think it might be a, well, Stephen thinks it'll be competitive in for like two minutes. I think it might be competitive for like 38 minutes. We'll see. Nathan probably thinks like 17 minutes of competitiveness. We'll find out on Saturday. We'll be there. We'll have the post-game podcast afterward. Again, this is the last podcast of the week. We're dropping this on Thursday. You have all day Thursday, all day Friday to listen to it. Thanks to you guys. Happy Thanksgiving for Nathan and Steven. I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.